It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is comedian Brittany Schmidt, who will be performing in the Comedy Works at the Plaza this Friday and Saturday, August 19th and 20th at 9 p.m. For ticket information, go to plazahotelcasino.com. And for everything about Brittany, go to brittanyschmidt.com. And you can follow her on Instagram and TikTok. And Brittany, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. You're from Wisconsin, and yet you're not a cheesy comedian. Explain yourself. Oh, <laughs> I am from Wisconsin. I love cheese, but yeah, I can't be a comedian. <laughs> the only cheese I, I don't like is blue cheese. Hey, I'm with but you. I like comedy. Yes. <laughs> uh, there we go. Blue uh, comedy, yeah, no, but not blue cheese. cheese. I got you. Blue cheese smells like, it smells like socks. I've had this debate with members of my family and they oppose me. They say, how could you not like blue cheese, Roford and all that other kind of stuff? Goat cheese. I said, I can't deal with that side of the cheese family. Yeah, it's also, it's uh, people either love it or they hate it. Yes, there is yes. no in between. There's no like, I'll take Exactly. Blue like, <laughs> yeah, we'll fight about blue cheese. <laughs> I want to talk about your comedy special from Hoda Housewife in a moment, but you could have picked so many other professions like an inmate or something. Why did you pick comedy? An inmate? Well, I did go to jail. I'm sort of alluding in an indirect way yeah. <laughs> to your background, which I'd love for you to share with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to jail. I got a DUI. So like I said, I'm from Wisconsin. And in Wisconsin, you can get, you know, a bunch of DUIs. And it's not a big deal. So when I got my DUI, I was very cocky. I was just like, I, I was smiling ear to ear in my mugshot. I was like, this isn't going to be a big deal. But I got it in Arizona. Um, and there is, <laughs> yeah, there is zero tolerance state. So even yes. if you have a sip of beer and drive, their minimum sentence is 10 days. So I had to go to jail for 30 days, which I served my time in Los Angeles um, at the Beverly Hills pay to stay. I called it the Beverly. Um, <laughs> it's very chic. I was the only person there. No, it was depressing. It was jail. Um, but I got out and I, and I didn't go back. Thank God. Excellent. Well, that's why I wanted to bring that up and have you tell the story. What is in your background that made you decide to become a comedian? Well, that experience. When I went to jail, I was super depressed and I couldn't afford therapy. And my friend was a comic and, and they were just like, you're funny. You should just try therapy or you should just try comedy. It's cheaper than therapy. So that's what I did. And they were and, right. And the, the audience pays you as opposed to you paying the therapist. Yeah. yeah. yeah that could work but out The fine. audience still doesn't pay me enough to go to therapy. You know? <laughs> Especially in LA. Yeah. yeah. You have to get that therapy. <laughs> Do you find that doing comedy, there's always that fine line. By performing comedy, you can help yourself as opposed to going to therapy. But on the other hand, if you help yourself, you may become unfunny. That's always been my fear, that if I give up my neurosis, I won't be humorous. Yeah, I don't think that's true. I think we should all work on healing ourselves and helping ourselves. You can find humor in everything. And it's better to be uh, mentally well than just unhinged and, you know, banking on these sets every night to make your life worth living. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I understand. I think that's a, a lot of creative people think like, well, if I get better, I'm not going to have anything funny to say. Like, you know, I got sober and I was worried. I was like, I'm only funny because I drink party and you know hook up with strangers and then all that stuff stopped and i my the stuff i've written now is funnier than anything i've ever written were you surprised at the fact that you're funnier now than when you're under the influence oh, yeah. of cheese and booze yeah yeah yeah, yeah i'm su i'm surprised 
because I really did think that my identity was the funniest thing about me. And my identity was that I was a drunk and, and then, yeah. And then, you know, I got to, but you're, you're clearer when you're sober, you're, you're firing on all cylinders. So of course you're able to write better jokes. Would it be fair to say, and it's philosophical as well as sociological and psychological, did humor save you? Yes. Yeah. Humor saved my life the whole time. I mean, when I was younger, I got bullied. My dad was always really funny. My dad, you know, my dad kind of just taught me, he went through a really gnarly divorce with my mom. It took them eight years from start to finish. And it was at the time, the longest divorce in the state of Wisconsin history. And my dad just kept making jokes about everything. And I was like, this isn't funny. Like our family is falling apart. And he's like, no, everything is funny. Yeah. So, I mean, that was like, that's the greatest lesson my dad has ever taught me is everything is funny, no matter how sad and fucked up it is. Now you're married. So your husband, and you tell stories about your husband on stage, but was your husband okay? Well, I'm sure he's okay with your decision not to drink, but is he okay with your decision to be a comedian? I was a comedian before I met him. Okay. So he didn't have a say in that matter. Right. Gotcha. Did he try to dissuade you from continuing to be a comedian once you got married? When we first started dating, he didn't really dissuade me. He didn't love like the late nights being around, you know, the cock salesmen that are male comics, but, um, (laughs) but he didn't dissuade me from it. I think I was so happy in my relationship that I was like, nothing's funny. I'm happy. It's kind of that thing we were just talking about. We're like, if I'm better, do I really need this thing? Um, So I took some time off. I took like a year and a half off where I was only doing like one show a month just to kind of keep the rest off. But yeah, and then life happened and then I had to had to hit the stage again. I like that term to keep the rust off. Yeah. So once a month and then you realize, okay, this is my chosen profession. I'm going to get yeah. out there and do it on a regular basis. Do you find that you connect both with the females in the audience and the males in the audience? Yes, because I have a very dry sense of humor and I say some very shocking things that the men like. So like I have dark jokes and guys, guys tend to gravitate to the darkness, the the dryness, that kind of stuff. And then for the women, you know, I'm talking about, I'm a woman and I'm talking about my experience as a woman. And a lot of people can relate to it. And I say a lot of things that are like taboo or we're not supposed to say, but a lot of people have experienced like the title of my special is from Hoda Housewife. And so many women have come up to me and been like, oh my God, you know, I had, you know, a similar journey, but I'm not allowed to talk about what I used to do. And it's like, yeah, we can talk about it you know, the, the down with the patriarchy. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Do you think it's because of your choice of the word ho as opposed to some other word? Maybe that's why. Well, I mean, ho to housewife is an old, it's not, I, I'm certainly not the first person who ever said that, you know, it's in ludicrous songs. It's yeah, sure. Calling yourself a ho is, um, but that's, you know, it's taboo, but it's something that I learned a long time ago when the bullies would call me that in school. I was like, oh, if I call myself that, I take away your power. That's true. That's true. Now, thinking of that, there was an expression, which I'm going to modify using your own terms. You could be a hoe in the bedroom and a housewife in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that it's, it's a play off the old terminology that you're... Yeah. What, what is the old terminology, though? It's I'm trying to remember, and I can't get into my head at the moment. It's freak in the streets. And, no, freak, not freak in the sheets <laughs> and lady in the streets. Or something like that. Or Something yes. like that. Yeah, yeah, I can't even remember. I should, and yeah. I can't think of it. Yeah. You, I mean, you know, people are dimensional. You can be different. I can cook dinner and also, you know... Do other stuff. <laughs> exactly. My only I'm not concern, too graphic. My only concern about you, you're going to become too much LA because you use the word healing. 
Right, right, right. Yeah. No, definitely. When I first moved to LA, I, I drank like a, you know, like a man and I, or uh, a male fish, one of the two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I drank a lot. I ate red meat. I was like, what is green juice? Why are you guys <laughs> meditating? Like what is wrong with all of you? And now I do all that stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, they're onto something because <laughs> I'm happier now than I've ever been in my life. So. <laughs> Excellent. No, no, that's good. It's yeah. funny because you have a dry sense of humor, but you're from a wet state. Yes. Yes. That so, is funny. When you were learning your craft, did you have any mentors? Did you have anybody to look up to and who gave you some guidance? Because you're an original, so you're not going to deliver material the way somebody else would or even write that kind of material. But did you look to anybody for guidance, any particular comic or comedian in the industry? I mean, there's people that I look at what they do, but I'm not friends with them and they're not mentoring me in that way. Like I look at Anthony Jeselnik, who's a really like shockingly dark comic and he's brave enough to say all the things that he says. So I'm like, oh, I can be brave enough to say the things that I want to say. And then I think for females, like Amy Schumer really blazed the the path for all of us to talk about sex and have fun with it. So I think those two are my those are like the people that I look up to, but I wouldn't call them mentors because I don't know them personally. Well, when you're writing material and you're performing material, you get feedback. And I guess the reason for my previous question was that you learn as you go, but I would think you might rely on somebody to give you professional feedback. So yes, this joke works because, and this joke doesn't work, you should change this or the order of that, that type of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I so the two people in my life that I consider, you know, they're they're high higher above me. They're working comics. They've given me feedback. I haven't taken either of their feed their feedback. It's like sometimes you get feedback and you have to know, like you have to have a creative north star that like actually no, this is what I do want to say and I have to say it. I've had men, very successful men, tell me um, not to talk about sex. When I just did this last half hour, I had one of my mentors who, you know, I love dearly. He's very successful, wonderful human. He told me not to release it. He's like, wait until you have an hour and put out an hour. And so it's like almost like when you get that feedback, you then have an internal feeling of like, yes or no, that feedback either jives with me or it doesn't. And more times than not, when people give me feedback, I'm kind of in the no camp where I'm like, no, I'm, I'm doing and saying what I, I believe I need to do and say. And not to say the feedback is not valuable. I think it's, you know, they are making fine points, but it's just, it doesn't resonate with me at, at this moment. Do you think it's better that way? So you may, your journey may take a little longer than most comedians, but you're true to yourself. Yeah. And my fan base, you know, it's easy to pander or be hacky and have like a giant fan base and avoid the things that people don't want to talk about. You know, I talk about abortion and I talk about suicide and I talk about things that like scare people. But I think the fans that I get are going to be diehard. And then, you know, the rest of them, that's okay. I don't, I'm not, I'm not everyone's cup of tea and thank God for that, you know. No, nor should you be. I think one of the most scary things you could talk about would be LA traffic, but that's your decision. Right. <laughs> I'm not your mentor. I'm just suggesting yeah. that. that might be a scary thing to talk about as well. Yeah. So now you're on the road on a regular basis. Are you used to that? Because you, you now you're performing for audiences instead of truck drivers, based on what you've right. talked about. But are you? That's a joke. It's a bad one, but it, I'll, yeah, no, I know. I'll I'll own it. What the hell? Yeah. So, but do you like being on the road performing, and you're going from city to city, and you're gone for X amount of time, and hubby's home drinking the no. good stuff, or you no? Know, that I don't. I, it's necessary uh, to get out on the road and get reps, and it's great to be in different cities and try 
the jokes that I'm working on because, you know, LA is not America. LA is not a representation of how the rest of the world thinks or feels. They're overwhelmingly PC and they don't let you say certain stuff. So I'm sometimes like, if a joke doesn't work in LA, I'm like, okay, let me try it in Austin. Let me try it in a different market and see if it works. Or if it just doesn't work anywhere, then I know it's not a joke, but I do have to try it other places. So it's a necessary evil being on the road, but I don't like it because I'm introverted. So that, that much like, you know, after shows, you have to sit and talk to people and that kind of drains me. And then I just don't sleep well on the road. And it's like, you're not on a schedule, you know, like working out and meditating and all the things that I do in LA, I can't do on the road. So I do have a tricky time on the road, but it is a necessary evil. So I just have to figure it out. Is there a way that you could set up a system so that after you perform, you just say, hey, I'm not feeling well, I'm going back to my comedy condo or my hotel room. And that way you can avoid having to be drained. I could, but it's really important. It's a really important part of what I do to interact with people, you know, like one-on-one FaceTime, actually one of my friends who actually I would consider a mentor, Theo Vaughn, who is incredibly successful. And I've seen him out in the world and so many people recognize him all the time. And he always stops and gives people just a minute of his time. And I'm like, if that were me, I would have a panic. I couldn't do it. But he's like, it's so important because those people then like, have that interaction where they can go tell friends and family like, Oh, I met him and he was great. And we had like this quick little conversation and then they go to shows and like, you know what I mean? It keeps fans more engaged if they feel like you're a real person and like somebody that they can interact with rather than just like this figure. And I think that's why, you know, celebrities always get a bad rap because they're like, Oh, this person was so rude or this person was so that, but it's like, no, it's like that person is exhausted. They just don't want to talk to a stranger. You know, if a stranger was coming up to you every two minutes you might seem rude too when you were just trying to like protect your energy. Right. And also too, what you see on stage, the persona, is to an extent the reality of the person, but there's part of it that most comedians keep for themselves as private. And after the show, once you're off stage and and you come down from that high, you're yourself again, 100%, and you don't want to necessarily interact with people at that level. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, Beyonce has Sasha Fierce, which is her alter ego when she goes on stage and she's this person, but like, that's not who Beyonce is at home. You know, she's not walking around like, okay, ladies, now let's get in formation. Like, no, she's, you know, we're performers. So we're performing while we're performing. And then people just like have a hard time kind of separating that. I'm a real person that isn't always funny. That's the other thing people think like, you know, oh, you're going to be so funny to hang out with. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm so boring. Like I'm sitting, I I observe, I'm quiet. I'm like, I'm not some like, and there are a lot of comics that are very performative and very jokey jokey and they try and run a room and, and they often can. And I'm just not that person. I just, I'm, I'm pretty quiet and pretty introverted. There are comedians who are on all the time. That must be exhausting, but. Exhausting. And I I could never, and I have no aspirations to be that. Is your husband supportive of what you do at this point? I understand that you were comedian before you met him and married him. Is he supportive of your on-the-road engagements? And do you occasionally take him on the road with you or because of his situation, he can't always join you? No, the road, we really look at it as like, I'm going to work and I don't go with him to his job. So that's kind of how we treat the road. He's very supportive. I couldn't have a, a more supportive partner. He's wonderful. But yeah, no, he's he's super creative. He's doing his own thing. So when I'm on the road, he's just he just does his own thing. He mountain bikes and he's, you know, just doing whatever he wants to do. And has he taken on the heavy lifting of drinking for the family since you gave it up? (laughs) No, he actually got sober about a year after I did. 
So he quit drinking. Once he kind of saw how much my life improved after I quit drinking, he quit drinking and he, so I haven't drank in four and a half years and he hasn't drank in three and a half. So that's excellent. Yeah. Do you get the, just out of curiosity, do you get the urge occasionally to want to, especially if you're performing in comedy clubs, which in addition to comedy, liquor is dispensed. Yeah. And so is that a temptation or how do you handle that part, let alone people wanting to talk to you after the show? It's not a temptation. I haven't thought about having a drink in years. Obviously, when you're going through hard stuff, there is like the thought of like, oh, a drink would be nice. A drink would take the edge off. But for me, it's not a drink. I don't get to just have a drink. You know, I'm an alcoholic, so I have many drinks and ruin relationships and do horrible shit. So no, there's no, there's no urges for me. The one thing I do kind of go back and forth with is weed. Like I was fully sober for three years. And then last year I had like five months where I was smoking weed again. And then I was like, why have I not gotten anything done in five months? Like, <laughs> They've been high every day. Yeah, um, I think that would do it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I've been fully sober again, eight months. My sobriety with weed kind of goes back and forth, but there's no temptation to drink. I don't, I mean, even just watching drunk people gives me post-traumatic stress. I'm just like, oh my God, I used to be this person all the time where I was like, had flop sweat, like Shaq at the foul line and just was like loud and thought I was like being funny and cool. And then I just see people act that way in the wild. And I'm like, oh, I, I, I will never, I hope I will. I hope I never do that again. It's a struggle, I'm sure. And, but you're, you're disciplined and you're, you're, you're having to be disciplined too, because of your comedy work. So that means showing up at a comedy club on time and going out on stage and doing your stuff. Do you have a writing routine as well? In other words, do you set aside an hour a day for writing? Yeah, I do not set aside an hour a day. I wish I set aside an hour a day. I set aside probably two hours one day a week where I write. And then I work with like a comedy friend and my old writing teacher. And we will do a session where we sit down and hash the jokes out maybe like twice a month. I admire people who can write every day, but I think realistically, and especially for somebody like you, it's better to know you'll do twice a week and definitely do it versus saying, I'm going to do it every day. And then you yeah. fail at it because you, life intrudes and you're doing other stuff. And then you feel bad about not doing it every day. Right. Yeah. I had to get realistic with myself. I, I remember I listened to um, Kobe Bryant. He was on the, oh, what podcast was it? Uh, Jay Shetty podcast. And he was talking about how he sort of managed his life, which was obviously more extraordinary than any of us will ever <laughs> will ever have. But he has a system where it's like, he puts time on his calendar. And at the end of his life, when he was not playing basketball, he was writing, he was creating, he was producing. He's like, so I'll sit down for, or I'll put time on my calendar for an hour, two days a week. And it's non-negotiable time. So it doesn't matter if Beyonce calls me and wants to go to lunch or whoever call it, it doesn't matter what opportunity comes up. Like you just put that time on your calendar and you have to like show the universe that like, this is where your focus is. So I found that very helpful where I'm like, I can do that. I can do that one day a week, not two days a week, not three days a week, but one day a week where I sit down and I'm like, turn off my phone, no distractions. And I'm just writing for an hour and it, and it's, it works. Do you think that looking at your output, you mentioned alcohol, you mentioned weed, clearly you're most productive when none of that is in your system. Right. So you have to kind of, you have to take the long view and say, I may not have, I may not have to go back to weed at all if I want to progress to the next level or do this next project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I know that full sobriety serves me the most. 
it's just, I get in my head where I'm like, I could do that. You know what I mean? I just like tell myself, I'm like, I can do both. And then I get there and I can't. Um, and that's frustrating. So it's like, yeah, I don't want to start over again. Right. I might. Who knows? That's, that's how it goes. Do you put a little memos around the house to remind you not to think that way? Because that's magical thinking that you can do both when some people may be able to, but if you can't, you can't. And that's acknowledging it. The thinking was more insidious in my first sobriety. When I had those three years, I kept thinking, I'm like, I'm going to smoke weed again. I'm going to be able to smoke weed again. I'm going to smoke weed again. And then I did it. And then I realized, oh, I can't smoke weed. So I I don't have that thinking now. We're like, sometimes when I think of my future, like when I think of myself at like 65 years old, just like sitting, you know, at my house in Ojai, I'm like, I'll be smoking a joint and having a glass of wine then. But the truth is, if I get that far, um, it will be because I didn't smoke or drink. If I have a house in Ojai, it's going to be because I didn't smoke or drink. So hopefully I don't burn it to the ground. At <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so looking ahead, though, because, you know, you're, you're developing a name, you're appearing here and there and on the road and doing this. And of course, we mentioned your, your comedy special. Do you see down the road, five, 10 years that you want to do something totally different, maybe. And I don't know what that would be, a situation, comedy, a movie, or just maybe growing marijuana. Yeah, in I mean, hopefully not, even, hopefully not even five years from now. I, w- I definitely want to act. I want to do TV. I want to do movies. I just finished writing a movie. I have a few pilots that I've written. So yeah, definitely the goal is to act and, and to do that, kind of tap into that side of my creativity as well. Do you think that you can combine the two in the sense that you stay on the road and yet you're able to do these other projects? Again, obviously, you're not going to be able to drink or have weed in order to be able to do all these things, but it would seem... Yeah, no, the goal is to get to a level where my name is big enough that I can do my own tour and do it on my terms. Like the dream would be to like, you know, have an ongoing TV show, shoot a, a movie every couple of years and then do one big theater tour like two or three months out of the year. So it's like comedy won't be just sporadically throughout the year. Like, obviously, I'll always do movies and TV and then do, you know, comedy when I have the time and and on my own terms, you know, I would love to have like two months at a time where I'm on the road. And then the rest of the year, I can kind of stay put and do shows in town, but not be on the road. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? I think that's what everyone doing comedy wants to do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm acting like it's just my idea. (laughs) Do you get, you obviously get feedback from the audience because they laugh. Do you get feedback from not your mentors, but your fellow comedians in terms of when they watch you perform in a club, whether it's in Dallas or. Yeah, yeah. They, um, yes, I get feedback. Oftentimes when I'm working on a joke that's not working yet they'll let me know if I should kill it or keep it. You know, if there's a joke that's like, ah, it's almost there, but it's not working. And those jokes are frequently the ones that are like, they're edgy. You know, it's either, it's about stuff that like scares the crowd and comics will oftentimes be like, keep working on that. You have something there or like, stop that before you get canceled. (laughs) You said something earlier about developing the name where it becomes very big. And there's always that one extra step so do you want your name to be as big as just your first name, Brittany, or your last name, Schmidt, or all two? In other words, on the Las Vegas Strip, you'll have certain names that are just one name, Cher right. or Frank. Like Eliza, Sebastian. Exactly, yes. Yeah, I mean, I think they're just first names because their first names are so unique. 
I think Brittany is such a basic bitch name that like I'll never be a one name gal. Unfortunately, like every girl that was born in when I was born, 89, has the same name. So I always thought Brittany was a Valley girl name, not a Wisconsin girl name, but I guess I'm wrong. It's an everywhere name. It was everywhere. It's like Brittany, Ashley, like all those just basic bitch names of the 90s. (laughs) What has been the reaction from your folks in terms of your career? In terms of your entry into comedy, never mind your career, just the fact that you became a comedian. So my mom is dead. So she loves it. Big fan. (laughs) (laughs) No, my... That's dark uh, humor, but I'll laugh. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, it's dark. Um, But my dad's funny. My dad's my dad. And if you watch my comedy, it's kind of disgusting to watch your daughter say that stuff. So he... I never watched my comedy. I think when I first did stand up, the first set I ever did, it sort of circulated around like the neighborhood. And he saw like two minutes of it and was like, I can't watch this. And then when this special just came out, my cousin who works for him was like, Oh, you have to, you have to watch it. It's really good. And and it's a 30, you know, 35 minute special. And my dad, I think, got 10 minutes in. And then he was like, he called me and he's like, I watched your special and my heart just dropped because I'm like, oh no. And he was just like, you're funny. He's like, you're so funny. He's like, you're saying the stuff that I say, cause my dad's an electrician. So, you know, the, in the trades, he's like, we have a filthy sense of humor. He's like, obviously, you know, I don't want to hear all that stuff coming out of my daughter's mouth. He's like, but he's like, you're so funny. So that was a really big, that was really big for me. Cause I've gone, you know, seven years in this career with him just kind of ignoring the fact that I'm doing it. And yeah, he's, he's, he's a fan now. And it is difficult and it is uncomfortable for parents to see their kid on stage, especially not using blue cheese, but blue material or dark right. material. And I think that's a natural reaction is what I'm trying to say. I understand it, but he surmounted it and was delighted that you were funny. Yeah. Yeah. Last question before I let you go. Closest friend in this weird business of comedy that you have? Her name is Gabby Lamb. She is a, She's also a comic hilarious. She's just one of those people. Her set is never the same. She has the most frenetic, chaotic energy. She has a really funny podcast called Tea Time, um, where people email like deep, dark secrets. And then she says them like anonymously. She's just super funny. She's super supportive. She is uh, definitely somebody to watch out to. She watch out for, she's going to be a big, a big deal. And then my other, I also have to shout out Dicey. She's another comic who's just a killer. I've never seen her not kill. Super funny. Just driest, smartest bitch in the business. And I just feel, I just feel so lucky to be surrounded, to be surrounded by those women. Cause they're really, they're, they're going to be big deals too. And with comedy, I don't think you age out of comedy. And what no, I mean, that's right. nice thing. Yeah. yeah. You go forever. You go forever. Male or female, you go forever. If you're funny, you're funny. And that's it. Yeah. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been comedian, Brittany Schmidt. Either or both of those names will be on a marquee in Las Vegas or a reader board these days in Las Vegas. She'll be performing in the Comedy Works at the Plaza this Friday and Saturday, August 19th and 20th at 9 p.m. For ticket information, go to plazahotelcasino.com. And for everything about Brittany, go to brittanyschmidt.com. And you can follow her on Instagram and, yes, TikTok. Brittany, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. 
each week, Ivor David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah.